Hey, Chapel family, it's good to be with you guys. For those of you that I haven't met yet, my name is Todd. I'm another one of the pastors here, and I've been looking forward to looking at God's truth together. Uh, I was thinking about that song that we just sang, the doxology. I remember singing as a little child. Every single week, we sang that song, Praise God from Whom All Blessings Flow. But as a child, and even growing up into my uh, young teen years, those words really were empty to me. I didn't know all the truth that they hold because I didn't have a real living relationship with Jesus. And I can remember when I was 17 and I first heard the gospel in a real way that connected with my heart and I understood who Jesus was and all that he had done for me and that, that we could actually have a, a, a everyday relationship with God through Christ. And I gave my life to Jesus and I can remember then singing that same song what seemed like for the very first time. You ever saying something or said something, and yet it was just empty words. It didn't really resonate. And I think about, um, in, in about six weeks, many, many people will flood this room for our Christmas Eve services. And every year, they sing the same songs, songs that we all know, and yet they may not have yet truly discovered the rich meaning, the truth of those songs, the hope of those Christmas carols that we sing. And we're going to have an opportunity in just a few weeks to be able to, to celebrate Christmas together. We wanted to be the first to give you guys, our chapel family, the heads up on what to expect because we're in the midst of a, a pandemic and, and everything looks and feels a little bit different. So we're trying to adjust accordingly. So let me let you in on the plans for Christmas Eve. We're going to have multiple services at all three of our campuses right here in Port Clinton, all that will kick off on Wednesday, December 23rd. So the day before Christmas Eve, we'll have a service at 6.30 p.m. that evening. It's a great option for those that might have to be traveling, uh, you know, on Christmas Eve day. And then on Christmas Eve, uh, at our Sandusky location, we'll open up with a 12.30 service. And then at Norwalk, Sandusky, and here in Port Clinton, 2 o'clock, 3.30, and then... Uh, 5 p.m. And uh, if we need to add more services, we will add to that. Uh, in order to be prepared so that you guys have a seat and so that many of our guests will have a seat, uh, we're asking everybody to pre-register this year, okay? So you're going to just text the word Christmas to that number on the screen. All this info is online on our website, and you can get to it there. You don't have to decide today, but that registration is open starting today. Um, right up to the week of uh, Christmas Eve. Maybe at Thanksgiving, you need to sit around the table and say, hey, so when are we going? What service do we want to go to as a family? Or as you invite friends, uh, and then you'll just text in or, or go online, register for however many guests you plan to have with you, uh, get your seats reserved, and then we'll be able to be ready for you. All right, we'll have kids ministry for our early childhood, just up through three years old for all of those services, for you or for your friends that have family members, and uh, we want to be prepared for you. So just uh, take note of that, get ready. Christmas is coming only six and a half weeks or so away, and we're looking forward to that. Um, I don't know about you, but over the midst of all this COVID craziness and quarantine, we, I know Lisa and I, we found ourselves just checking out in, in the Netflix box, you know, and binge watching certain shows. And there was one show that we came across, it just kind of roped us in. It's a, it's a show called The Genetic Detective. Anybody else seen this? It's like a real life uh, reality show. And this, this lady, her name's Cece, uh, she is a genealogist. 
And she, they take DNA, and she works alongside of the FBI, like this is like legit stuff, real stuff, and, and she takes the DNA, does a gene, genealogical study. She's following these huge family trees of origin to try to decipher who killed who. These incredible murder mysteries, some unsolved for years and years and years, and she's a, been able to help many, many cases be closed. Now, long, long before any shows like The Genetic Detective, long, long before we even knew that there was such thing as DNA or DNA testing, when we turn to the very initial pages of the scriptures in the book of Genesis, we come to the very first murder mystery, although it was not much of a mystery. It was cut and dry. And when it comes to DNA... <laughs> Uh, these two guys' DNA almost matched completely because they were brothers. It's the story of Cain and Abel found in Genesis chapter 4. And the story is that both Cain and Abel brought gifts to God out of what they did as farmers, as, as, as herdsmen. And God accepted Abel's offering, but God did not accept Cain's offering. And Cain was upset and he didn't know why God, and yet God knew something about what was going on inside of Cain's life. In fact, in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7, it says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, you will, you will, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, he says, Sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Well, the story goes on, and even after God's warning to Cain, he's filled with anger, bitterness, and he ends up taking the life of his brother, Abel. And this story is used by the Apostle John in the book that we've been looking at week by week, chapter by chapter, 1 John, as like a case study for all of our relationships, and basically John is going to propose uh, a question. And the question is, how are we going to live our life? Are we going to take the easy path of selfishness, or are we going to go down the costly path of selflessness? And it's your choice. It's our choice. Just like it was Cain's choice, how are we going to live our lives. And that brings us to our core passage of the weekend, 1 John chapter 3, beginning in verse 11. And these are John's words, and then he's going to come back to this illustration of Cain and Abel in just a moment. He says, this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, we should love one another. Now that seems like a no-brainer, right? I mean, you can't go wrong by loving each other. And yet, it's a battleground, isn't it? And the question becomes, well, what kind of love are we talking about here? And that's why our choice is over a, a selfish kind of love or a selfless kind of love. So John gives this challenge. He says, love one another. This is the message you've heard from the beginning. Like, this is not new stuff. Like, this is stuff that we should have already figured out and that we should be living out in our relationships with others. But then he follows that sentence with a warning. 
And he goes back to Cain and Abel. He says, we must love each other. We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil, and his brother had been doing what was righteous. Cain chose the selfish path of life. To do what was easy, to do what made him happy. And John says, don't be like Cain. Don't choose the selfish path. As Stephen Cole uh, fleshes this out a little bit as he defines what the, the selfish life really looks like. He says it's a selfish, insensitive, <coughs> excuse me, insensitive attitude that shows itself in disregarding others' good as I seek my own interests. Let me read that again. It's a selfish, insensitive attitude that shows itself in disregarding others' good as I seek my own interest. Now, we can look at that definition and we think about the example of Cain and Abel and we think, well, I'm not doing so bad, am I? Like, hey, at least I haven't killed anybody, right? Like Cain, like, except for that one time in the minivan on vacation when I was, yeah. Well, we won't go there though, right? So, so how do we know if we've slipped into living the selfish life? Well, I want us to take a, a test, okay? And there's not going to be, you know, you don't have to answer out loud. In fact, please don't. Uh, this is just between you and God. And these aren't necessarily things that we actively do or perhaps even say. And yet when we search our hearts, I think we see so much reality in some of these statements. And there's signs that we may have slipped into living on the selfish path. For instance, we say in our minds, in our hearts, I'm the standard and hopefully people will meet my expectations, right? Or, or we think, I, I have a difficult time putting the needs of others before my own. There's a wrestling there. Or, or maybe if we slip down the selfish pathway, it's, hey, if I do something for others, it better fit into my schedule, or I hope that I'm going to get some credit for that, right? <laughs> or when I don't get my way, I throw a fit. Some of you are like, yeah, I know some people like that. Some of us are those people, right? And it might not be an outward fit, but it's an inward tantrum, like, right? And maybe it comes out in other ways, in passive aggressiveness. And, and, and if we were very, very honest with ourselves, we're slipping into the path of selfishness. Or I expect others to listen to me, but I become disinterested when others talk to me. We start checking out. We, we, we expect everybody to listen to what we have to say, right? Uh, but when, when somebody's going on and on about their life or their problem or their issue, we're checked out. Or if I ever, and if is the big word here, if we're living the selfish path, if I ever apologize for something, I make darn sure to make sure the other person knows what they did wrong as well, right? We say, hey, I'm really, really sorry, but. <laughs> and then what follows is just an indictment upon the other person and a justification for why we did or said or acted the way that we did. We've slipped into the selfish life, a selfish kind of love that really is not love at all. 
Now, some of those, some of those kind of pictures resonate too much with us or people that we know. And what I'm so grateful for is that John points us to a better way, another way of living. Because remember, there's a choice. Are we going to go down the easy path of selfishness or the costly path of selflessness? And Jesus was the ultimate example of that and the very means by which we can live this other way. Look at what John goes on to say. He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. He's saying, listen, let me redefine love for you, and we've experienced it. We really know what this real kind of selfless love is. It's selfless because it's of Jesus, and what did Jesus do? He gave up his life. He didn't hold on to his life and his needs and his wants. He selflessly gives his life as a sacrifice. You know, we read that verse, 1 John 3, 16, and I think we get used to it. Some of us as followers of Christ or people that have gone to church for many years, we've heard the same story over and over. And Every Easter we hear about Jesus' love and then his death on the cross and his resurrection. But man, we should never, ever get over this. This is the key to the selfless life that Jesus wants us to discover, a life that will ultimately bless all of our relationships. But it's a life that's discovered because we've experienced Jesus and his love for us, a selfless, sacrificial kind of love. And John goes on to say, and so we also ought to live our lives for our brothers and sisters. He says, listen, Jesus laid down his life for us, so there's an there's a, there's a equation here. And, and John is saying, because of this, it should automatically equate to this. Because we've experienced God's incredible selfless love for us, we also ought to love each other in the same way. That we would step into the selfless path because Jesus first stepped into that path on our behalf. In other words, John is saying this real, this selfless love is not meant to just be received. It's meant to be replicated. It's not just for us. It's for everybody. And if our life has been touched by that kind of selfless love, it should lead us to loving others in the same way. Now, Stephen Cole, who gave us a definition earlier of, of the selfish love, also helps us get a picture of what selfless love is really like. He says it's a self-sacrificing, caring commitment that shows itself in seeking the highest good of the loved one. And in, in John's writing, John also goes on to flesh this out, to, to give us a picture of not just Jesus, but how this is lived out in day-to-day -day life with other people. Look at what he says. He says, if someone has enough money to live well, and sees a brother or sister in need, but shows no compassion, he questions, how can God's love be in that person? 
I sat and I read that verse multiple times this week. And I was so challenged. I started thinking about instances where I knew of need. And the bottom line is, if we're living in America, most of us have plenty. And I started thinking about situations where I knew of need and I didn't do anything. And John says, where's God's love? If God's love is in us, if it's thriving in our souls, you would have to, you'd have to chain us up not to go and love others with the same kind of selfless love. Even when it comes to our pocketbooks, that, that we would give freely to others, that we would run to the rescue to help others in need when we see it. That's compassion. That's what Jesus had for us, and he's calling us to have with each other. That's selfless, sacrificial love. John goes on uh, and he says, dear children, with this deep term of endearment, he's calling us as God's children. He says, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. You ever had somebody just, you know, you, you say, well, I love you. And they say, yeah, I know. I've heard it. And deep down, what they're longing for is not to hear the words but to see it in action. And that's what John is saying. John is saying, you can say it all you want, but God's kind of selfless love is shown. It's shown in real life action. And that's why it's costly. That's why this is a costly path to take. It's going to cost something, but think about everything that Jesus already spent to show us his kind of love. To, to, to redeem us, to bring us back into a real living relationship with him. So what is, what is the selfless test? We, we talked earlier about six markers uh, that could be pointing to the fact that we're walking down the, the selfish pathway. What would be some indicators then that we're moving towards the selfless path that Jesus calls us to? Well, it means that my standards now for others reflect God's standards. And what are God's standards? His, his standard is grace and grace and grace. It means that I seek to put others' needs ahead of mine instead of anticipating and expecting all of my needs to be met first. Or it means if I do something for others, I don't, I'm not doing it to get noticed, but I'm doing it for God's glory. That's the selfless life. It means that when I don't get my way, I don't throw a fit. I don't get passive aggressive, whether it's an outward fit or an inward fit. Instead, when I don't get my way, I can still be at peace with it. Why? Because I know that God's in control. And it's not about me anyway. It's about others. But yeah, it might cost something, but that's okay. Because look at the price that Jesus already paid for me. It means I'm being more interested in listening to others than being listened to. That I just want to hone in on others and make them feel so valued. And it means that when we apologize, we sincerely mean it and we own everything without blaming the other person. There's no I'm sorry buts. 
There's only, I'm sorry. This is not an easy path. It's a costly path. And yet, if, if we don't shift and move towards the selfless life, the selfish life is going to murder our relationships and destroy our lives and others. And until we discover Jesus' selfless love for us, we'll never be able to fully love others the way that they deserve and truthfully, the way that we also need to be loved as well. I love the words of uh, John Maxwell. He poses an important question. He says, most people want to change the world to improve their lives, but the world that they need to change first is the one inside themselves. Wow. Let's pray. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord. For it's so easy to slip down the selfish path of life in subtle ways and significant ways. We make life about ourselves, about our needs, about our wants. And Jesus, you were so other-centered when everything should have been about you when you came to this earth. You made it about everyone else. You made it about us. And you willingly laid down your life for us. That's love. Help us to do the same for others this day. We pray and ask for your strength in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you guys as you go. Um, our greeting team will come and dismiss you row by row. You guys have an awesome